How about we pray, church? Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in our life. Thank you, Christ, for making the way for us. Lord, we thank you for getting us together this morning, and we ask, God, that you and you alone would speak to our hearts, that we would be encouraged from the scriptures, that we would be just enlightened and, and excited and encouraged to continue on in this life. Lord, we pray for Billy and our friends down in Ventura at the Ventura campus, that God, you would strengthen him as he brings the word. You'd fill him, allow him to be free to preach, to preach you, Christ. Have your way. Have your way this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want us to imagine for a moment, real quick, being gone from your home to, to a distant place, to a different place. Having been there to this different place for some time, you've, it has become like home in some sense. You've developed relationships. You know the lay of the land pretty well. You understand the culture. You've experienced some highs and lows. But there's always some sense that you don't really belong there. It's a sense of knowing that one day you're going to return to your home. Something amazing happens when you get saved, when you accept Christ as Lord. Something amazing happens. You're born into a new eternal life. See, when we were born in here, we were born into this place, into this world. I was born of Cottage Hospital here in Santa Barbara and of this county and of this place. I was born of here and um, sin was just as much of my nature as the need to eat and drink was. But when for some of us who have confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we were saved. We were, we were born again. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus mentions it to Nicodemus. He says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That Greek word, I believe it's pronounced geno-anothen. You guys know what that means, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> I didn't know either. Listen, very simply, it means born from above. You're born from above. We're given new life, a new identity. So when that happened, we became citizens of heaven. We were now of a different place. And all of a sudden, we were in this world, but we were not of it. Just like when we were physically born, we were of this place or of this world. But now, for those of us who have been born again by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord, we are now of a different place. Yeah. And you guys remember a couple weeks ago, talking about the tension yeah. between being here on earth, yeah. but being citizens of heaven. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's a good, there, there should be that healthy tension, you know, of setting our minds on things above and not treasuring things here on earth. There's that healthy tension. Paul had that. He was hard pressed 
to depart and be with the Lord, but to remain on in, in fruitful labor and telling people about Jesus and loving people. And, and being citizens then of heaven, I want to I talk about that place this morning of where we're citizens of. Yes. I've entitled this Glorious Homecoming. And it is going to be glorious. And you know, titles are titles. They're not the vitals. Christ, Christ is the vitals. And we're going to see that. His place. In John 14, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And the idea I want to get from that is just that there is a place. There's a place for us, for the Christian. One day when we die, or Jesus comes back. And also his heart, that he's going to come back. And that, because he says, for where I am, there they may be also. I go to prepare a place for you. What, is, what about this place? What about it? And this morning, I want to talk about the new Jerusalem. I want to talk about the capital city of heaven, where we will be inhabitants of, where we will be citizens of, for the Christian, where we will live forever. And what we're going to look at is, this is after the rapture of the church, this is after the great tribulation, after the millennial kingdom, after the great white throne judgment, after the battle of Armageddon, after Satan is doomed forever to the lake of fire, this is when it's all said and done. Yeah. I mean, it's a new year. So why not talk about something new? Amen. And new things are great. New shoes. <laughs> new shoes are great. A new cars, a new house, a new season, a renewed hope, a new perspective, new insight on the things of God, a new understanding of him. And Jesus makes all things new, amen? amen. He, he makes beauty from ashes. So what about this place? Well, it's going to be some place, you guys. Yeah. It is going to be some place. And God, being so in tune with our character, has given us a glimpse of this place where those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb will live forever and ever, so kind and good of Him. I mean, look who's preparing it for us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Aren't you glad? God... Jesus is preparing it for us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he has set eternity in the hearts of man. Isn't that neat? Yeah. I have a um, real estate article. I want to I I read you a description of this place. I want you to pay close attention to the description of it, okay? Um, you'll catch the title of it too. It's it's uh, appropriate, I think, for today. It says, A remarkable estate in an incomparable setting. Heaven, is what it's called, combines the ascetics of timeless design in a picture-perfect location with all the luxuries and modern conveniences of the most distinguished estates. Add to this an on-site well. That's not bad. <laughs> Complete solar power, drought-tolerant landscaping, an avocado orchard. That's good, too. Fruit trees and vegetable gardens, pools, views, privacy, and a helicopter pad. 
And you have a world-class estate for today's most discriminating and and ecologically-minded buyer selected by its owners uh, almost 20 years ago and named Heaven. The 40-acre mountaintop retreat is situated behind gates down a long driveway. As you wind through the property to the main house, the mountains and the valleys are magnificently displayed with the Channel Islands and ocean beyond. Wow. The seven-bedroom, ten-bath house is sited, sited perfectly, sited perfectly to enjoy the sunrises, sunsets, and exceptional, exceptional views and breezes. All public rooms surround a central courtyard with the master bedroom on the first floor, commanding some of the most breathtaking views. There are three separate wings, as well as a two-bedroom, two-bath guest house, and a separate office facilities. There's a one-of-a-kind pool that winds through the entire property in addition to the indoor lap pool and grotto-style spa. This landmark property is more than an estate. It's an experience, a destination, a resort to call home. Wow, that's not bad. (laughs) So um, I, I saw this and I was like, wow, that place is amazing. But then I saw the opening bid at the auction was $5.8 million. That's a lot of money for the majority of us. And I I was thinking, well, what if the plumbing goes out? (laughs) Or what if there's a crazy torrential downpour and it floods and landslides? Or what happens when there's turmoil inside between the inhabitants of it? It's not really heavenly. I'm not saying it's not bad to have a home and to make a nice home. And maybe... (laughs) Maybe there's someone here like, well, I know that place and I was thinking of buying it and <laughs> don't feel bad. Don't feel bad at all. It's just, it probably not. They're probably not in here, but I, I, just, I, I just wanted you guys to see like it, it, it will crumble. Um, I was up at the high, I had the privilege of being up at the high school camp this past summer um, and I went with my buddy Justin. We drove up there. And man, we got to this place and it was absolutely amazing. It was so cool. We got there. There's a long driveway. There's a long cement driveway. Um, there's this giant brand new house. We got there, saw Pastor G there. Just, Shawnee, how's this place? He gave us a, a quick little tour. The, the lawns were just long and super green. These lush, green, lovely trees. There was um, animals there. There was horses there. There's even peacocks there, which in the early church was a symbol of the resurrection. Um, there was uh, these giant white dogs, Newfoundlands, I believe, um, really, really sweet ones, but yet they protected the family and they actually patrolled the property. These giant white dogs patrolled the property. Um, there were more games and things to do than you can count on your hands and feet. There's a, there was a legitimate football field with actual uprights. It was amazing. The fruit that grew on the property was the juiciest fruit I had ever had. There was like a half a glass of fruit juice in, in, in one piece of fruit. The sand on the shore had these little tiny glimmering flakes of what looked like gold. And the river was called the King's River. Um, my buddy looked at me while we were eating a nectarine. He's like, Shawnee. This is like the closest thing to heaven on earth. And, and we were laughing, you know, we started laughing mostly because we saw the, the minute parallels. Um, but, but I also think it's because we were joyful 
thinking about heaven. You know, as Christians, we long for that place where our Savior is. We long for home. After jumping in at the high school camp to the 48-degree water, the dust, the sunburn, sore muscles, we soon realized, no, this isn't heaven. And soon after seeing the price tag of $5.8 million, it's, wow, how, how, does, how do we get heaven? How do we get heaven? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's see what the Bible has to say about heaven. Repeatedly in the New Testament, we're told as believers we're citizens of heaven. And we're waiting to get to heaven where our Father is, where our Savior is, where our dwelling is, where our names are written, where our brothers and sisters are, where our affections are, where our hearts are, where our treasure is, where our inheritance dwells. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can either look on, but I really want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage you guys, everyone here, to maybe close your eyes if you want as we read, as we read through. We're going to see some of the details of the Father's house, and it's absolutely mind-blowing. Our little finite minds, it's hard for us to, to imagine, but we're going, to, we're going to see it. We're going to try. This is a vision is of the domain of the blessed. So we're just going to read a little section, that little section here in Revelation 21, starting in verse 10. <clears throat> this is John speaking. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had, great, it had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three great gates on the east, and three on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out in a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with a rod 1,500 miles, and its length and width and height are all equal. And he measured its wall, 72 yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. Listen to this. The material of the wall was like jasper, was jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Wow. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sun nor of the moon, to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Wow. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory 
and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Five more verses. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of his street, on either side of the river, was a tree of life, bearing 12 different kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Listen to this. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will have not need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. How's that? Here's God saying, here's what I got for you. Here's my place. I just want us to highlight a few of the characteristics of our heavenly home. We could spend all day talking about this. I encourage you to get into the book of Revelation if you haven't. So the material of the wall was jasper. These were diamond walls. No wonder when he saw it, he, was, he thought he was looking at a diamond. It was that clear clearness because you got 1,500 miles walled on all sides of diamond. <laughs> that's, a, that's amazing. And that's just one massive cube diamond. The wall was like jasper and the city, the rest of what was in it was pure gold like clear glass. Now, have you ever seen pure gold like clear glass? No, neither have I. Gold is opaque. My gold ring is opaque. It's not clear and it's not like glass. What is this? This is some different kind. This is translucent gold. You haven't seen it, but you're going to live in it. You're going to live in that. Whole new, new thing we've never seen. Well, why does it have to be clear? Why is it clear? Because that city has one great purpose in the new heaven and the new earth, and that's to do what? to radiate the glory of God and you can't have anything blocking it. So the brilliant flashing color of gold but transparent lends to the firing of that glory of God through every, every component, even the walls. How glorious. Nothing can stop or block the, the radiance of God. It shines out through everything. You see, well, wait, transparent? There won't be any privacy in that city. Remember a $5.8 million home said Privacy. That's okay, you won't need any. There will be nothing that calls for privacy. Wow. And then John goes to the foundation and he, and he labels off those, those different gems, those different beautiful stones. And think of how massive this place is and, and these stones. He says, this is amazing detail. We're down to the bottom, to the foundation. First of all, um, Remember, it was jasper. The foundation was jasper, radiant white, crystal clear diamond with its flashing colors. And the second was sapphire, a brilliant blue. The third was chalcedony. That was some kind of agate stone, sky blue with translucent stripes of color. And the fourth was emerald, which is, of course, a blazing bright green. The fifth was sardonyx, which is a red and white stone. The sixth was sardius, a rather common red stone that was from the quartz family. The seventh was chrysolite. That's a transparent sort of lucid gold tone or yellow tone stone. And then it says the eighth barrel, that's a sea green. Just beautiful. 
The ninth is topaz, transparent yellow-green. The tenth, chrysoprase, that's another shade of green. The eleventh, jacinth, which was a brilliant, shining violet color. And the twelfth, amethyst, which is purple. Wow. That's amazing. Now what you have, of course, is just a blazing panoply of these brilliant colors that the light of God's glory is shining through as they make up the foundation of the heavenly city. The general picture then is one of just unbelievable beauty, indescribable beauty. It's hard to describe it. A spectrum of color blazing everywhere, the light of the gold, the diamond transparent city illuminating, shining through the diamond walls, pushing its light through all of these different colored jewels forms a scene of dazzling, wondrous, incredible beauty. I think it's safe to say that the foundation of the heavenly city is more glorious than any sites from a prime piece of location here on earth, even the best sunset. And boy, they've been nice lately. Past couple of months, there's been some beautiful sunset. Praise God. Praise God for that too. And that's why it's going to be a glorious homecoming, you guys. And so something else to help us just trip out on it in a good way is the circumference or perimeter of this place is 9,000 miles. And it's 1,500 miles high. It means it would take 18 hours on a jet plane to go around it. And it would take three hours on a plane to go to the top. That's amazing. And, and you guys see that? All those colors that big radiating and shining and blazing. Praise God. And then John describes the gates. Now remember those gates could real, well run the, the full height of the city. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. That's some oyster. <laughs> no, no. These are pearls of God's own making. These are pearls like never, never produced by an oyster. Each one of those gates was a single pearl. Why? This is amazing. One commentator had a thought about this. Listen to this. How appropriate. <clears throat> All other precious gems are metals or stones. But a pearl is a gem formed within the oyster. It is the only one formed by living flesh. The humble oyster receives an irritation or a wound. And around the offending article that has penetrated and hurt it, the oyster builds a pearl. The pearl, we might say, uh, is the answer of the oyster to that which injured it. And the glory land is God's answer in Christ to the wicked men who crucified heaven's beloved and put him to open shame. How like God it is to make the gates of the new Jerusalem pearls. The saints, as they come and go, will forever be reminded as they pass the gates of glory that access to God's home is only because of Calvary, only because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Think of the size of those gates. Think of the supernatural pearls from which they are made, which gigantic, which gigantic suffering is symbolized by those gates of pearl. Throughout the endless ages, we shall be reminded by those pearly gates of the immensity of the sufferings of Christ. Those pearls hung eternally, as it were, at the access roots to glory and will remind us forever of one who hung upon a tree and whose answer to those who injured him was to invite them to, sh to forever share his home, end quote. Isn't that an amazing thought? Heaven is entered through suffering by a wounded redeemer. 
And we'll always be reminded of it as we pass the pearls. How glorious. Verse 23 of chapter 21. Uh, the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. I mean, it's just blazing light. That's it. Lit by the presence of God and the Lamb. Isaiah 24 says, The moon shall be ashamed. And the sun shall be confounded. The moon shall be ashamed and the sun shall be confounded. Imagine the sun. Who looks into the sun? Nobody. Unless you want your retinas seared. And so imagine the sun being confounded at the light and the beauty and the radiance of this place. It's absolutely amazing. And the nation shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth, this is verse 24, shall bring their glory into it. The glory of all other men, the rule of all other men, it dissipated into nothingness. All kinds of people were there, will be there, and even the highest people. I think the idea here is that even the kings of the world, the noble men, the high and mighty, if you will, will give up their glory for the glory of heaven. All the nations will walk in the light of God's glory. God's presence in all men, even the kings of the earth, will bow to his glory. That's why it will be a glorious homecoming. Christian, listen, we're going to go. We're going to see. We're going to see these walls. We're going to see this giant place, these colors blazing. And I think the pearls, you know, the pearls, maybe they're there. They're probably there to get our attention. Just, whoa, look at that pearl. Look at these colors. Look at that pearl. It's going to be like something we've never seen in our lives. And as we walk through those gates, we're going to see our Savior, and He is going to pale out. The glory of Him is going to pale out all other sights, all the pearls and the stones. Isn't that wonderful? In the beginning of eternity, uh, of earthly history, excuse me, God's purpose was to bless His people so that all peoples would glorify Him for His salvation. Now, at the end, God's purpose is fulfilled. Individuals from every tribe, tongue, people are bowing down around the throne of God and singing praises to the one who has blessed them with salvation. This is the final, ultimate, all-consuming, glorious, guaranteed, overwhelmingly global purpose of God in Scripture. It is the great why of God. Why, Lord, why send your son to die on a cross? So that mankind would receive him as their savior so that we could be with them it's absolutely glorious. We keep going more about the light. And in the daytime, in the daytime will be all the time for there will be no night there and the gates will never be closed. That's so cool. Here's why it's cool. City gates were always shut at night to keep out robbers and troublemakers and other armies. But since there's no night, the gates will never be shut. It's perfect freedom, perfect security. Come and go as you want. There's perfect protection. It's going to be glorious. Nothing's going to rival God's glory. Verse 27, And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. No one will ever be there but peoples whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. How unfair, Sean. Why are you saying that? I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Scriptures say it. And they're true. 
There's gonna, this is so cool. There's going to be no rivals for God's glory, no rivals for honor. The nations will bring all their glory in and all their glory in and, and, and deposit it at God's home. That's why it will be a glorious homecoming. All glory unto the Lord. The way it should be because he's so good. He's so worthy. Uh, chapter 22, there was a, we read, um, he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming out of the throne of God, right in the middle, down the street, middle of the street. And on either side, there was a tree bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations or the wholesomeness of the nations. And again, the crystal clear river, transparent, is to radiate God's glory. So the light of God can shine through it. Back in the Garden of Eden, you remember there's a river that branched out into four ways that watered it. And here we find the heavenly city is gloriously presenting, presenting, flowing right out of the throne, right down the middle of the city, a crystal clear celestial river. It's just the scene of majesty that is absolutely indescribable. Remember our one-of-a-kind pool in our real estate that went through the entire property? I think this one's going to be a little bit more fascinating. Thank you, Lord. There's a Psalm 64, 4 says, There's a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. Do you know what a river was to a Jew living in a barren place like Israel? It was a welcome place of comfort and rest and respite, refreshment, and sustenance and cool water in a hot time. The city was a place of protection, fellowship, communion, and socialization. And a river meant water to a parched mouth. God's giving them a heaven that is the epitome of everything that was precious to them. Everything. What joy. What joy. We're going to eat for enjoyment there, not sustenance. You eat for the taste, just for the sheer ecstasy of whatever it is they're going to have on that tree. And I bet you it's going to be even better than what was up at the summer camp. Healing is the word. We get our word, get our word therapeutic, health, health giving. The leaves don't provide healing for sickness. They promote the enrichment of life. That's all. They're just for the sheer joy of eating. The water's for the sheer joy of drinking. No substance is needed, but all substances are enjoyed. Wow. It's incredible, isn't it? How enjoyable it is to eat. I love eating. <laughs> the textures and tastes and smells. It's fun to eat. I like eating. <laughs> be able to do it for eternity. God's, God's provision. It's going to be amazing. And listen to this. Revelation 22, 3 through 5, we read it. There will no longer be any curse, no more curse. For the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night. And they shall not need the light of lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. No more curse, no more sin. The throne of God and the Lamb are there. Free from the presence of sin. What a glorious homecoming. Back up in Revelation 24, 4. You can read that later on. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye and there will no longer be any death. 
No longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. How glorious that homecoming will be. Does it get any better? Yes. If it can, it does. And this is absolutely amazing. Did you guys catch it? It says, we will see his face. We'll see our Savior's face. The saints in this new glory city will see God's face being perfectly holy and righteous. They will be able to endure the heavenly level of the glorious light from God's presence without being consumed. Something impossible for humans on earth. Remember in Exodus 33, Said, no one can, God said, you can't see my face and live. Imagine that, gazing into the face of our glorified Lord. Wow. I mean, looking at someone in the face, that's how you connect with them. We don't talk to each other at the back of each other's heads. We look at each other's face and we can connect. Psalms talk about seeking his face. But we'll be there. God will be among us. His name will be written on our foreheads as it says, to leave no doubt as to who we belong to for eternity. Heaven for the Christian will be an actual reality. We'll see the colors, we'll hear the sounds, we'll be clothed in white, we'll be continually joyful, we'll be free of pain, we'll see him who is pierced for us. What a glorious homecoming. We're going to see him and his glory, the light of his glory is even going to be more amazing than those giant pearly gates and amazing flashing colors. Heaven is our home. Heaven is heaven, like I said, not just because of the amazing sights, but because Jesus is there. Christ will be there. It's all about Jesus there. Revelation is, the book of Revelation is the uncovering of Christ Jesus. Speaks of Christ as being in, in this book, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the living one, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the one who has a sharp two-edged sword, the son of God, his eyes like a flame of fire, feet like burnished bronze, holy and true, one who opens and no one will shut, and shuts and no one will open, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb of God, the Lord, holy and true, faithful and true, the word of God, king of kings, Lord of lords, Messiah, root, bright morning star. It's all about Jesus. And we're going to be centered around that, the lamb. We see Christ in his glory and glorifying Christ. Do we long for heaven so that we can be free of sin and sickness? Sure. Sure. But that's not the primary motivation of our longings. Primary motivation is that we will see him whom our soul loves. The one who has so lovingly transformed our identity and life. And this is absolutely amazing here. Not only are we citizens of heaven, we're also the chosen betrothed of the king of this place. Revelation 19 talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 21.9 talks about the bride and the wife of the Lamb. And that's something else that will make our homecoming glorious. It's not just that he's made a place for us for eternity, but he has designed us to be his bride. That oneness, what a glorious homecoming. And the New Jerusalem is described as a bride because it gets its name from its inhabitants. 
It encompasses all the redeemed of all the ages who will live there forever. It is defined as the wife of the Lamb because the marriage has taken place. He is our lover. Remember, we mentioned how if he goes to prepare a place for us, he's going to come again. That where I am, they may be also. You see the love in that? Do you see that? You really only prepare a place for someone if you're confident of their arrival. This is Jesus saying, I go to prepare a place for you. I mean, for him to say that and not actually do that or come again for us would be a ridiculous statement. And it's a bummer when we're let down, when we're promised something and it doesn't happen. Parents do this. I do this. Friends do this. God won't do this. He won't let us down. He can't. He cannot lie. It's already set in motion. He loves us. Listen, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, among them, we to all formerly living in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Isaiah 54 talks about it. Hosea chapter 2 says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. Wow. Listen to this. And John, you guys have probably read this before. As we're reading it, I want you to see, see the Lord's heart. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I do not ask you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. This is Jesus praying, speaking to the Father. Praying to the Father. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And they may may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that they, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire also whom you have given me. Be with me where I am. So that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have made known your name to them, and will make it known, so that the love which you have loved in me, loved me, may be in them, and I in them. It's almost like looking at Revelation, looking at this new capital city, and speaking about being the bride of Christ. It's like this is answered. We see that being answered. And this can't be just be words. And what a sick God if this was just an empty promise. But this was demonstrated through Christ. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And Christ has made us ready. Christ has made you ready, Christian, by the work on the cross. 
In Ephesians 5, you guys have probably heard that one, speaks about the husband laying his life down for his wife. You hear it at weddings all the time. And the wife submitting. There's a mutual submission there. And the, the husband washing his bride in the word. And then at the end of that little segment, it says, I speak of Christ concerning the church. And does not Christ love his church? What we deserve is hell. And that's an actual place. That's separation from God. We need to have a right view of marriage. It's to glorify God. It's to glorify Him. Not to be socially accepted or to be selfishly get something for ourselves. We're the sons of the wedding place. We're, Jesus is our bridegroom. That's why it will be a glorious celebration. You know, a marriage was, was probably the single most um, greatest celebration and social event of the biblical world. It would last weeks. There's three stages. They had the betrothal, and the engagement, and then there was a presentation, a time of festivities, just before the actual ceremony. It could last up to a week or more. At the end of the presentation, festivities, the groom and his attendants would go to the bride's house and take her and her bridesmaids to the ceremony. The ceremony is the most significant stage, exchanging of vows, and after the ceremony would come a final meal followed by the consummation of the marriage. One of my wife's best friends growing up, we, we were able to, we went to her wedding some years ago. And uh, man, she, uh, this was amazing. It was a traditional Jewish wedding. And uh, we got there at like 6.15 at night. I'm like, oh, we're late for sure. Because we went into this room where everybody was and they were eating just this amazing meal, all this amazing food. I was like, gosh, we missed it. This is the reception. Oh, well, at least there's some food. Because it's fun to eat. <laughs> no. But um. So we're there for two hours. No joke. We're there for about two hours. And then they say, okay, the ceremony's going to start. We're like, whoa, okay, cool. We go in and it's just a beautiful ceremony, very traditional. Um, and then into another room where there's a whole other meal time. And then into this other room where there's a celebration for, you know, it went pretty late and, and it was amazing. And we knew that about a week prior to that, there, there was this whole thing going on. There was, there was festivities and um, we were even told that DJ's friend, um, she was wrapped in white. And her husband-to-be came and she was presented to him in that white. Um, so we're the betrothed to Christ. And it's like we're going to be presented to the Father by Christ, being made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. You see that? It's absolutely amazing. And Christ in his manhood was not immune to a righteous desire to be with one another. He knew aloneness was not good, but he denied himself instant gratification so that his wedding day with his bride would be fully joyous and blessedly pure. You know who you're betrothed to, Christian. This is eternal life, John says, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How excited a bride is month, days, hours before the marriage takes place so focused, so prepared. It's pretty easy to tell when someone is engaged, right? You see the ring and making plans, maybe stressed. <laughs> but um, how excited should we be in thinking about being betrothed to Christ? It's so, so glorious. You know, the rings symbolize, symbolize an exchange of life. You exchange rings, you're exchanging lives. You see, Christ was in heaven and he was birthed into our world so that we could be birthed into his dwelling place. 
We could be born from above. There was an exchange that happened. He gave his life for mankind that we would receive that and, and lay down our lives. Just like in a marriage. It's so glorious. Heaven is our home. The internal capital city of heaven, the new Jerusalem, will be a place of indescribable beauty. But the most glorious reality of all will be that formerly sinful rebels will be made righteous, enjoy intimate fellowship with God and the Lamb, serve them and reign with them forever and ever in sheer joy and incessant praise. That's a glorious homecoming. And so friends, I hope this year we become more solidified in our true identity and we operate in a way, operate in that way. You know, there's no more wrath that the Father is going to put on the Son and there's no more love that He's going to love Him with. You get what I'm saying? I hope we don't miss glorifying God this year. I hope we will focus more on Him so that we can be what we were created to be, gazing upon His glory, being transformed into His image. We will become like Him when we gaze upon Him. And you know what? The picture of Christ and God in Revelation is not what He will become one day. This is our God right now ruling and reigning and Christ ever making intercession for us. That's great, Sean. So what do we do? And we close here. My hope and prayer really is for those of you who don't know Christ as your Lord, as your first, as your Savior, as your highest affection, who have not confessed your sins and put your trust and faith in Him that you would know Him today. You'd be born again having the promise of one day dwelling with God forever and ever. Trust me. Actually, no, trust the Word of God. You want to know the king of this glorious capital city because the alternative is hell. And where it's destined for a man to die once and then the judgment. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. You've got to accept him. Confess your sins to him. My hope is prayers for the Christians. That this year we would pray with more confidence in who we are in him, read the word with more understanding of his character and love for us, and glorify his name more in word and action. Are we those who have loved his appearing? I hope we live in more expectation like these guys did. Listen to this, and then we're done. But we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny all ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him, so that you are not lacking in any gift awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep th seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. What a glorious homecoming it will be, Christian. What a glorious homecoming it will be. Right now, we are going to worship him through song. Let's start the year right by glorifying his name in this moment. 
Don't miss the glory of, of the Lord this day, this year. I hope we focus on him so we can become what we were created to be, to radiate his glory. Listen, there's communion here that remembers. We remember Jesus' work on the cross. Come, partake in communion. That work that allowed us that access to heaven. And if you're not a citizen of heaven, make that decision today. Come see a prayer team member, pastors and elders up here, or just call out to God. Turn to somebody next to you. Love you guys. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You are so glorious. The little bit, God, little little tiny piece that you've revealed to us. Thank you, Lord. God, I ask now that you would be honored, you'd be glorified. And truly, Lord, that only your name would be praised in this place. God, anoint us afresh to bring you more glory. Thank you, Lord.